Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Queerona, where we have star of Voice UK, Vangelis Polidoru, who was a semi-finalist and is now releasing an exciting new album and a single called Throw Me on February 10th. We are going to discuss all of this and more on Queerona. Live from Philadelphia, you're listening to Queerona, where Philip Moore and one of his ex-boyfriends, me, George Alley, come together with a group of avant-garde co-hosts and guests to discuss life, love, death, mystery, art, and whatever. So, welcome to... So tell us, Vangelis, tell us all, hello and welcome, and tell us all about this new exciting single that you are putting out. It's a debut single of your debut album. You've been in the charts before with some dance songs. You were just recently on a tour with Culture Club, and now you are releasing this exciting single with a very exciting cover art. Tell us more all about this single that's dropping on February 10th. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I'm trying to think what I can say about it. Um, it's kind of about dating from a gay man's perspective in this modern world. So it's, you know, it's, it's about kind of, you know, when you, you're, you can pick up your phone and you can swipe on someone if you don't like them or if you like them. And then and you can be picky. You can be as picky as you want these days because there's always like another option. It's kind of about that. And it's very camp and very yeah i wanted to be from a gay man's perspective so so you do have he in there rather than she and and things like that and um i've got a really cool music video as well to go to go with it um which i'm excited to show you guys which is coming out on february the 10th as well website that's supposed to help christian singles quote find god's match for them but now a beauty queen is coming forward and accusing a man of using the site for decidedly unspiritual purposes abc's tanya rivero is here with the story good morning good morning dan that's right it took a lot of courage for this beauty queen to come forward and talk with us speaking out against a man police say targeted women on a religious dating site because he thought they would be easier prey you got this pretty outrageous sculptural hat that you're wearing in the uh, in the video tell us about the sort of like look for this you've got some like crazy sunglasses this sheer shirt and this very sculptural almost like a sun hat in a way yeah tell us well, about like the appearance for this video okay so basically the video is set in another world so it's set in like a horror cult movie world that's where it's set so I am instead of me, it starts with me. I'm going to just reveal everything now. So like, it starts with me on my phone and I'm swiping through on, um, we'll call it monster. It's called Manstar instead of Tinder. It's called Manstar, like monster. It's meant to be like a gay app. Uh -huh. And instead of me just swiping on like normal guys, like, you know, cause that's boring. We've, we kind of thought, well, why don't we set it in a world where it's like, you know, a Cyclops came up and I was like, oh no. And then a merman came up and he was like really over photoshopped. And I was like, oh no, not him. And then this vampire comes up and then I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'll go on a date with him. I swipe on to go on a date with him. And then I'm in the scene in the video on a date with this vampire. Um, and we kind of wanted to just run with that theme. So I'm kind of going on dates of loads of different like 
classic cult horror characters, but we didn't want to make it costumey. So for example, the vampire is in pink lace. So instead of doing the classic like black and red, like we did that, and then I'm going on a date with a mummy who's, who's giving me a striptease, but, in, <laughs> but instead of white bandages, <laughs> so he's wrapped in denim and he's kind of taken off. So we just tried to make it a little bit clever and um, just a little bit different. So, so the, the, the look that you're talking about, which is the cover art, I'm actually on an right. afternoon date with a zombie. Zombies have been a pop culture staple for decades, and in that time, the concept of the dead coming back to life to somehow feast on the living has proliferated in virtually every form of media that exists. One trait that is seemingly synonymous with zombies is their apparent need to feed on the brains of the living. So I'm kind of, that's why I've kind of got the sun hat, and it's very like, I'm on my fourth husband. He's just, uh, <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. So um, yeah. every day I go on, something goes wrong. And it and it's like I'm trying to find that one person that's going to, quotation marks, throw me over their shoulder, you know, whisk me off my feet. Have you guys been watching, um, like, the Ru RuPaul's Drag Race UK? Yes, I love yeah. it. I saw season one. I haven't seen the beginning of season two, but I really enjoyed season one. It's really good. I just wanted to say quickly, like that I have a drag queen in my video, and that drag queen is That's on right. RuPaul's Drag Race UK, and actually that is my boyfriend's brother, Veronica Green. It's Ver yeah, Veronica Green. Yeah. She was in the video. She played a witch in the video. We were at a bar together, and she's she's going crazy. She's drinking loads. She's drunk, and I'm, she's been loud. And I'm like, oh for God's sake, like. This date is not going well. So um, I wanted to kind of have a drag representation as well. I just thought it'd be funny to have, it's, it's all men in the video, but it's just different representations of men. If that makes sense. Yeah. And an even more connection is that in the first episode, she dresses up like Boy George. Yeah, which is weird because I actually didn't tell her to do that. It was an idea that she had. And, and when my boyfriend told me, I was like, oh, that's, that's actually really clever because she's doing, she's a guy that's doing another guy that dresses androgynous and he's going to be in drag. So I was like, right, let me get my head around it. Um, and then I was, I just thought, yeah, that could be really cool. And then I actually had some, um, some shoes, these like trainer sho Dior shoes that George like randomly gave to me when we were on tour. And he was, he just was like, do they, oh, do you try them on and see if they fit? They were quite tight, but I was like, yes, they fit because they were Dior. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My boyfriend actually does drag as well, so it's this weird, like, I know, it's a, it's like a two-brother drag queen. It's a, it's a whole weird thing, but I it's really fun, and actually I was helping him um, a couple weeks ago with... Um, you know how the queens, once the, the series has aired, they go to a photo shoot and then they, we take pictures to show what looks they did on the show. So we were, I was helping him and like we had like a whole little team help, trying to help him get the pictures done. So he's got some amazing pictures coming up. Um, it's just fun. It's just creative. It's all like we do each other favours, me and, me and Kev. Like I helped him film his RuPaul's Drag Race video and then oh, he wow. helped me my video i helped him do some recording stuff like where it's never like a pay thing he did he actually him my boyfriend and this other girl called jenny that directed throw me they actually did backing vocals for me at wembley um a couple weeks ago um not a couple weeks ago 
at Christmas time, um, we did a, like a streamed gig and I supported Culture Club. And yeah, I had three drag queen backing vocalists. They weren't actually singing there. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, it was like What was it friend- like to perform at Wembley? That's pretty amazing to have done your, some of your own material at Wembley. Well, it was weird because obviously initially I was performing to about 3,000 people um, and the reason we, the venues kept changing. So it was like, first it was Palladium, then it was Royal Abbott Hall, and then they wanted to go bigger so that they could have more people because of, because of coronavirus. You can, you can have about 3,000 in the 12,000 seat venue. As we were leading up to it, like we had more restrictions come in. So it went from that to, or we could have a thousand people. And then it went from that to, there's not going to be an audience. It's just going to be streamed. So I was never on the live stream. So it was literally just an hour slot. And it's one of those things that if you go over it by even a minute, you're paying thousands of pounds. It's like you book it through this company. So I was a bit like, okay, so I'm perform- I'm going to perform at Wembley to no one, <laughs> and then um, and then they said to me, and then George said to me, well, it's going to be professionally filmed. So there's like eight cameras on you. It'll be like you'll have the footage. So I was like, oh, perfect. Like that's even better because I'll actually be able to have it. So um, yeah, I performed four tracks. Yeah, I really went for it. I was like, got this designer made me these clothes. And I had the three drag queens. <laughs> Just and then kind of um, I felt like I like produced the show myself. Like had all the graphics on the board, and. It was strange. I mean, it wasn't really to nobody because there was probably about, I would say about 50 people there, just kind of crew. My mum was there, obviously the drag was there. Like George watched me with his, his manager. Um, there was quite an awkward moment actually because on the screen they had the culture club graphics on and I kind of went, could we take that down? Sorry, not to be bitchy. But I didn't wanna, <laughs> right. You know, I didn't want to have like footage to say culture club because I'm... Yeah, it's, it's a confusing. Weird, yeah, because with I, I basically did a double shift because I did that first and then I did the backing vocals. <laughs> for jo- so I do, I right. do. Um, the backing vocals is kind of like, I suppose, the day job in a way. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. If, should I? I don't know if I should explain this because some people might not know. But basically, I met George on The Voice like four or five years ago. I sang one of his songs, I sang Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? And then um, I changed it into a ballad. And then basically, I, yeah, like you said before, went to the semi-finals with him. And like since then, we've just been working with each other like musically and just over the years become like friends now. And it's a weird 360 relationship because he kind of, he's, he basically is like a creative manager. Like I worked in this whole album with him, but then I also work for him doing the backing vocals. Um, yeah. And he's also, friend so it's kind of this like whole thing yeah it's been really fun and like I feel like since the voice it's not really kind of stopped the excitement's not stopped because it's always like something new or exciting that comes up because you did kind of a really noteworthy version of do you really want to hurt me and then you did um, always on my mind and you did a couple other uh, really noteworthy uh, performances and you're on his team and then how long did it go from how did how long did it go from you being on his team and being on the voice to then working with him outside of uh the voice um, well it's a weird one as well because I, I just to give some perspective on it they paint out that you're working with your coach longer than you are like i probably saw george and actually worked with him for probably under an hour maybe like 40 minutes in the whole show and like you're always oh, wow. on camera 
like so everything's always filmed and like our, every song I wanted to do was changed so I always would have a little bit more time away from the camera with him so um yeah initially do you really want to hurt me they actually I'm just going to reveal all the secrets now they actually called me up and said we were thinking of you trying one of the coaches songs that was kind of they, they pitched it I was originally doing another song and I said to them I, I'm not sure it's going to be enough to get me through you only have a minute and 40 seconds and um so they suggested, do you really want to hurt me? And um, it sounds so bad. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'll tell you because it's, it's funny. I didn't know that song. Really? No, I only knew like Karma Chameleon. And like on the show, they painted it out as if I was this massive, massive Culture Club fan. They, they put a picture <laughs> in my room, which I still have, of George. They asked me, can we put a picture of George in your room? <laughs> 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 Reality TV is not real because it, it's just this whole thing. And and I knew in my head, I was like, if if they're asking me to do a coach's song, they must be interested in me because I know it's like this, this story. Um, yeah. And then I came up with the arrangement on over the weekend. It was really quick. Went in with the live band, did all that. And then, um, yeah, and then I just started, you know, you have to have the battles and the, um, the knockouts and things like that. But originally I wasn't doing Always On My Mind. I was going to do Viva Forever by Spice Girls and I was going to completely change it up. <laughs> Amazing. I would definitely still want to hear that sometime though. Do you know what? It was actually really good. But when I said I was doing Spice Girls, George's face was like, well. <laughs> <laughs> I finished the show in April. Um, so, because I got to lives, yeah, I finished it in April and then I probably didn't see George till November because he went on tour and we were kind of messaging back and forth, but I didn't want to seem too like keen and too um, like messaging him all the time. So it kind of started off as like, oh, we should do a track. And then it was like, oh, let's do a cover first. And then he was like, oh, I know, let's do an original. And then it was like, let's do a cover. So I was a bit like, okay, now knowing him, I know that things can change on the daily like <laughs> with the way he thinks about something so i basically the first time i met up with him i went for a coffee he met me at hampstead station literally at the station i walked down yeah. i was like oh he's there he lives on the heath right yeah but i for some reason i kind of thought oh he's not going to turn up i don't know why because he messaged me going what are you doing tomorrow on twitter and i said i was out drinking that night and i was like nothing like why and he was like oh <laughs> meet me at Hampstead tomorrow we can go for a coffee and we can like discuss like the show and everything and I was like oh great so I went there at like 12 o'clock and he was just there waiting for me and I was like oh that's weird and then um we went to like Cafe Rouge sat down talked about the show he was like oh you know you did really well like there was nothing you did that was embarrassing like it was you know and then his friend Kevin was like walking past and then and then basically I went to his house and I had no idea that I was going to be singing and, and George thought like, okay so we're going to record today and I was thinking are you fucking joking me like I've, I've been out drinking the night before <laughs> and, and when George left the room I said to Caravan like I was like I was literally out drinking I was like I'm not I'm really like worried um and it was <laughs> fine and it was all like it actually went really well and then it kind of became this thing of like if George would call me I, I would just drop everything to go and see him. Like whatever I was doing, I'd be like, I need to go. And we, I just kind of built up the relationship with him. And then it, it was kind of like working relationship at first. Like I would never call him. Now I, t I text or call him because I, I, I feel comfortable enough to do it. But initially it was very much like, I didn't know where, where our relationship was. Like if it was like, are we just, is this just a business thing? Are we friends? Nice. 
with George, like we're very similar, but we're very different at the same time. So this, I, I feel like I understand him quite a lot. And at first, when he first met me, he was like, I couldn't read you. And it really bugged me. because so I didn't, I just wasn't, he's was like, I'm not sure about her. <laughs> when, he first, when he first met me, <laughs> apparently he was like, oh, I'm not sure. About but it was it just, you know, when you're doing something like The Voice and you're, um, every little bit of news or something they say is like, it's like, it's, 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 you know, it's this big thing. And like, I remember he didn't follow me. Like he, he, I was the last person he followed out of the team. It was like uh, in the final three, I mean. And I was thinking, why has he not followed me? Like, well, he must hate me because I did a song. Yeah, and then there's another awkward kind of moment with him where he sent me his number on Twitter and then I went to call it and this woman answered and I was like, oh, hi. Um, like, oh, I'm just ringing to speak to boy George because I thought I was probably his assistant. And she was like, oh, I don't know who that, sorry, you've got the wrong number. And then I realised he put the wrong fucking digit. <laughs> As a rule of hashtag Team George, I just want more, more, more. Don't you? So what's it been like to work with him as a producer or to like work on him on your own music? Do you know what? It's been amazing and challenging, but not in a bad way challenging. It's just that we're both control freaks and I very much have a way that I want to do things and so does he. And I feel like everything is always a compromise. So it, you know, he is an amazing songwriter and lyricist and like, I'm not someone that's going to come in and be like, oh, so actually I think we could have a better lyric there because they are always really good. You know what I mean? And like, right. it's always a collaboration. It's always like, a, oh, what about this idea of, or something? Or what about if we do something about this? Or it's just been really like, it's pushed me, I think. Like it's it's different to when I was on The Voice. It's actually pushed me out of my comfort zone to do something that I didn't think I could do. And then I did it. And then I was like, oh, okay, I can do it. And I feel comfortable doing it. I think initially, probably four or five years ago, if I was having an album out, I'd probably imagine it to be like a piano ballad, something like that. Whereas now it's it's not. It's very, the album's very gay themed. There's a lot of drama you know, it's quite sassy. There's just a few little gay things in there that like, I think that the gays will, appre <laughs> will appreciate. Um, <laughs> but, al but also it feels like, I feel, um, I don't feel uncomfortable as well. I feel like the songs and tracks are really like me and I, we, we worked on quite a lot and then it was kind of like, which ones do you like and want? And there was even some from like four years ago where I did with a, a different producer um, that we kind of reworked. Um, I'm trying to think of something else interesting to say of like, what is it actually like? What is it actually like working with a voice judge? Um, he's always, he always brings an idea to the table. So he'll, he'll always come in and be like, oh, I wrote this song today. And I'm like, when? And he's like, this morning I wrote this song. Do you want to hear it? And I'm like, okay, and it's really good. And, and then he's just constantly writing all the time or writing notes down or, you know, something. So it's amazing to be around someone that has that much creativity and yeah and and you know even if i wrote a line i was like, oh, i wrote this line what do you think of it he would kind of t like be able to turn it into something better where i'm like oh my god i never would have said it in that way um or, th or thought about it like that yeah he's just always making music and he's really like i think it really genuinely makes him happy so um it's yeah but obviously the challenges are i like to do a cert certain things vocally and actually when i was in lockdown i finished this album myself basically with one producer and George wasn't George wasn't there 
And um, I have to, I'm not going to lie and say that I actually did like that because I had full control and I could be like, I want to do that again. And I'd come back to the shoot the next day and be like, right, I need to do that note again. Or, you know, just yeah. I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So it was like, I, I kind mm -hmm. of would, con and he gets really wound up like, oh my God, it's great. Like what are you talking about? Or, and I just know in my head, it's like, I, it has to be where I want it to be for me to feel comfortable. So I eventually got right. there and now. <laughs> and you probably feel to a certain degree, like you have him in front of you. You don't want to have him sit there and watch as he would redo something 15 times. He because you want yeah, to do it again. Yeah, sometimes I like to sit with the song and really kind of get to know it and just and learn it properly. And, um, you know, sometimes it's like a lack of patience. So it's like, I'll <laughs> oh, just do it like this. And then you sing one line and it's like, no, it's not that. It's like this, the intention's this. And it's just, you know, it's you don't get in, you, you can't relax then because everyone's just watching you. So it was really nice and actually really valuable to have that experience just with that one guy and I could really complete the album properly and like um, just get all the vocals that I wanted to do. Do you feel like sometimes to create a, a good song it kind of has to sound terrible for a while? Um, no, I don't think that, but I do think that sometimes you have to write a lot of shit until you get something good. So it, my problem is when I'm writing something, I'll write and be like, oh, that's really good. And the next time I'm like, oh, it's awful. Or I won't push past that. I, and I think the thing that George does, which is really good as a songwriter, he'll push past the idea that it's like not good or, or good. He just, it's just an idea. And then he'll push past it. And then actually when you start doing that, you write more and then the idea slowly develops. But I also noticed as well that um, say he did write a song or, or had something something there it would always be different and end up different the way I would do it because when you're a singer you take a track and your kind of job is to like you know you're going to make it your own whilst trying to be respectful <laughs> so <laughs> yeah so it's, it is an interesting process definitely and you've got so many people's everyone has an opinion do you know what I mean everyone has an opinion and I feel like if you feel really strongly about something and you say, actually, I really like there was a, this one song that he recorded. And I was like, I really want to record it. And it was one of his songs. And I managed to get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, there's it, something about like a self-consciousness and songwriting is something that kind of like you need a little bit of privacy at times, right, to figure it out. Yeah, because you kind of get a bit like with me, I'd, I'd probably get a little bit embarrassed of like, oh, is, is that good, that line? You know, so you just throw the ideas out, then hopefully it develops. Is that, is that because you're um, maybe getting very personal that you get embarrassed, or or is it because you're just creating something and you want to give it to the world? I I think it's I think it's a mixture of both. So I think if you're doing something that you maybe haven't done your whole life or or really really experienced in, like you know, there's some singer songwriters and songwriters that you know, write every single day. Um, with me, like even before The Voice, I, I would write a little bit, but it wouldn't be something that I'd be like, oh, I would listen to that, <laughs> if, you know. And I think there's songwriters and then there's songwriters, like anyone can write a song. Um, but again, what is a good song? Like it's this whole thing, is it record sales? Is it, is it the melody? Like you, there's just no, everyone just has a different opinion. So it's, it's really, it's really difficult to know what's kind of good and bad. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's the exposing yourself, though, of maybe doing something that you're not used to doing. So I feel a lot more comfortable probably singing something. Um, and also, I think my strength is if there's an idea already, it's elevating that idea and taking it to the next level to make it sound really good. So I feel like I do that well without sounding up myself. Um, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like once there's something, I can kind of see where it's going to go to make it even better. It's funny because people do ask me about um, like obviously doing the backing vocals and like even friends like, oh, do you like doing it? And I'm like, I literally love it. It's like I'm back at college in a college band and we're just like, I'm literally, I'm getting paid for it. So it's, it's, I love being able to do, um, I think some people assume if you're not doing the lead, you're like, in, you're really annoyed and like, oh, I want to be the lead singer. Right. But it's it's really fun to be, a, to be able to sing those, um, I suppose, Culture Club hits to these massive venues in America because we did so many venues over there that were to like really big crowds and like really, um, you know, it's quite rare because you don't really get to do that unless you do have an audience that are going to, you know, we did like the Greek theater in LA and stuff. And we, um, we, we saw just you, like, we would have seen you, I think in Asbury park. Yeah. Oh, really? and I saw you at the stone pony, the outdoor. Stone oh my God. I, I remember that because, um, Wait, is that in, is, where is that? Is that in, in um, New, New Jersey? New Jersey. In, oh, okay. Oh my God. Asbury Park is a, like a beach town. It's like a gay beach town. Oh my God. Is it, is it, is it like built up the, you know, this, the, the, um, the venue? Is it outside? Outside, yeah. yeah. It's all at, completely outside, yeah. And, and it's, it's got like, do they do a lot of like fish and stuff there? Because I remember going walking on this. Is there a pier there? The boardwalk, yeah. yeah. Oh my God, I loved it there. That was so good. I was like walking on the beach that day. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Um, it's so nice there. So is that where you live near? We're not far it's from like there. It's like an hour yeah. from us. Philadelphia is, yeah. So you guys saw us, us there. From these beautiful homes at Deal Beach, with their landscaped lawns and flowers, the road leads you to popular Asbury Park. This famous beach has been a favorite of holiday throngs since the turn of the century. What must be interesting for you is like there's so many of those songs and they're all there's so many different styles of music with Culture Club that it must be interesting in that way, too, for you. It's interesting because I could go on stage and look at the set list and it's changed without anyone telling you. <laughs> so you're like, oh, OK, so I guess we're doing well, I guess we're doing that song tonight. It's just like really random and like you'd be surprised at how unorganized some things are that you would think in a touring production of something that it would be like, everything's like so last minute sometimes. And they're not like other bands that we don't do. We don't do um, dress runs or, or sound checks. Sorry. We don't do sound checks for every show. So it's only really when we're doing something where say we did a lot of like outside shows, we'd probably just keep that same sound for that. And it was only if there was an issue the night before that we're like, okay, we need to do a sound check. But normally in the day, I've got the day free to like go around and just go wherever I want. So I'd always type in like gay bars near me. <laughs> and I'd go into it <laughs> and I'd like, they'd be like, where are you going? And I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm just going into town. I like to like just go off by myself and just like, where are the gay people at? Do you know what I mean? I just wanted to just go off and do that. But I remember yeah. that town. 
I do remember, Ash, I do remember that because I went for food there and we had, um, I don't know what it's called, chowder. Every Campbell soup can be made with milk instead of water. It's the delicious way to get more milk into the family diet. Soup tastes so good and it's good for you. Have you had your soup today? I like, really like going to America because I get to look like kind of have I was the whole day to look around and if if we um stop off somewhere um so normally obviously we're on the bus there's bunk there's there's beds on the bus but when we have days off and we have two three days off we were in hotels and then what will happen is as well we um I don't know if I can I'm like revealing so much I'm like I don't know if I should tell you this stuff but I'll tell you anyway we um they basically alternate with the private jet so obviously the main band are on a private jet they're not on the bus. They like George right. and, and you know Roy and John, all those. They are always on a jet and they go to hotels. So they always take two people from the band on every night, and it alternates. What people don't might not realize is that it's not just the four original, and then it's like how many people are on stage usually at, for a culture club? It's, oh, there's, it's a lot. There's a lot. It's quite a big band. There's there's there was four backing vocalists. There was keyboard player saxophone you've got the, the drummer um we had a uh harmonica player we have i'm gonna forget someone now they're gonna kill me basically it's like 12 or th 13 people i think about 13 people which yeah. is quite big quite big and like um yeah it's 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 a lot and obviously you're living with so many different personalities and um because it was my first tour i didn't really i didn't really drink a lot I, I do remember going to this one place though and it was like Christmas there and it was July and I was like, what is going on? Christmas in July. Hey guys, are you ready for some fun and festive lunch ideas? I'm Jennifer with The Family Fudge and in today's video, we're celebrating Christmas in July. You can, although I was oh, also okay. curious to read that you yes. worked in a homemade frozen food shop. <laughs> yes, yes. And what does that, that mean? What does frozen food mean? Homemade frozen food. What does that mean? So basically, it's it's it was a shop that um, everything's cooked fresh with no added preservatives, and it, they basically blast freeze the food. So it's all it's all made in this like farm in Kent. It's just a factory basically, and people make all the food there, and then it's frozen, and then you can cook it from frozen. So basically, I just I was working there whilst I was auditioning for The Voice. I remember I had work in the afternoon and I, I've been for like a lot of shows like throughout my life. And like I've said to work, oh, I'll be back in the afternoon because, you know, I normally don't go through. Right. <laughs> um, but I actually started seeing this new singing teacher and she, um, do you want to hear about this? It's like just the way it all happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, I had, a, I had a singing lesson with this woman and she after the lesson, she was like, I, I really, I want to put you forward for a show. Do you have any videos that I could send to this scout? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't think I do actually, but I can like record one. Um, and then there was another thing, like a management thing. So originally it was for a different show that was, um, it was kind of canceled or something. ITV, didn't, the channel didn't want to do it anymore. And then, um, the voice came around and she said, oh, can I put you forward for that? And I said to her, to be honest, I don't really get past like the first rounds of these shows. And she was like, what do you mean? And I said, well, 
for anyone that doesn't know, when you audition for these things, there's loads of producer rounds before you actually get to the TV round. So with The Voice, you sing in a line of 10 people. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. And you yeah. sing for a vocal coach and a producer and you sing one by one. And um, if you get past that stage, you go to another room and then you sing by yourself to a backing track with, uh, again, a vocal coach producer. If they like you, they'll give you a letter. You see, see someone else that day, you talk to them. And then you wait to, to, this is the full process. Then you wait to check if you're on like the short list. They'll be like, you were interested in you, but we have to see everyone. If you get past that, it's the callbacks. If you get past that, it's the psychotherapy. And then they call you and say, we'd like to offer you a blind audition. It's a lot of rounds. And it's like from my year, it was like 48,000 singers. And then only like 100, 120 are picked for the blinds. But I remember saying to this woman, I never get past the rounds. And she was like, what do you mean? I said, never get past the line of 10. And she was like, you're definitely doing something wrong if you're not getting past the line of 10. Like, what are you doing in there? And I was like, well, I tend to kind of sing quite safe stuff. And she's like, you can't do yeah. that. You have, you have to go in and like literally give your best. Like I was going in singing kind of like Mad World by Gary. I don't know if you know that Tears for Fears, um, Gary yeah. Jules is about just not really using my like full voice, like showing what I could do. this song by Anthony and the Johnsons that I would always put off singing uh, even though I knew it did it well was Hope There's Someone by Anthony and the Johnsons and um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know, know him yeah and, mm -hmm. or her now but yeah I've so I've uh, seen Anthony yeah and I did that and like I'm I, I literally did the round and then I, I got a scouted round so basically I didn't have to do the line of 10 you just go into a, the second room first and the woman was like oh my god I'm covered in goosebumps. Like, you're definitely, like, she would give me the letter. And it was, like, weird because I'd, they're normally really cold in those rooms and they're very, like, we'll let you know. <laughs> or, like, you know. <laughs> and it went from there. And it just, like, literally just built from there. And then I had to ring work at, like, the frozen food shop and be like, oh, actually, I'm not going to be able to come in because I kept getting through that day. And then there was another drama where they literally messaged all the contestants saying that none of them were th were, had got through to the callback. So we were like, oh, I didn't get through. And then they called me back in like, oh, did you get an email saying you didn't get through? I was like, yeah. And they were like, oh, we, there has been a, a, a glitch on the system and we basically sent that email out to every contestant that's applied. <laughs> so I like, okay, so am I through or not? <laughs> like what's happening? And then, yeah, and then eventually I got kind of got- You're like, it's too late. It's too late. I've moved on. I've moved yeah. on. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing was when I did the callbacks, um, I had an audition for a wedding band like literally the day before and I turned up did the wedding band audition and I didn't think I actually did that well the next day I turned up to the voice audition and I was like oh my god I'm at the same venue I must have got their address wrong and I and then I looked at it and I was like oh no it's not the voice audition was in the same building oh. as the wedding audition <laughs> on that day when I was there so I did the voice audition and then I basically got a call back from the, the wedding people saying that I'd got they really loved me and like they wanted me to do it and then I didn't get the voice and I kind of thought oh maybe I'm destined to be like a, wed a wedding singer and then <laughs> and then they called me back again and was like oh no it was a mistake so I was like fine but that was kind of the whole the whole process and it's just yeah it's it's quite stressful I think though being on a show like it's the the happiest moment is when you get a turn because it's the it's kind of the only positive 
Every other thing is like, all the battles, someone is going. I've done some funny jobs. Like I worked in, there's a place called, um, have you heard of Weatherspoons before? <laughs> yeah. No. It's basically like a pub, yeah. It's a cheap pub where they sell really cheap drinks and it's because they don't play music in it, so they don't have to pay a music license and everything's, it's quite like, can get a bit rough in there anyway. Um, so I used to work there. And I used to no work music? There. No, but everything's cheaper. It's like you don't need a music license. I don't know. It's, I don't know if it's cheaper just because of that, but it's kind of like, <laughs> a, like a cheap place you can go and like... Um, yeah, and I've done like hair, like hairdressing assistant jobs and just like other little things like that. But I've never had like a a nine to five thing yet. Sometimes those weird jobs can add for like interesting stories and ideas. I would rather have a weird job than a boring job. Yeah, that's I once true. changed light bulbs for a summer. Oh, really? What is that? Yeah. Mean? What did you do? Is that because of your goth dancing that you were able to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many you worked on? A, so you just, all you did was change light bulbs. Thousands of light bulbs the entire mm-hmm. summer. Like the halogen long light bulbs, you know, we'd take them all out in every single office if, for progressive insurance. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wandering so- from like 9 p.m. to 2 in the morning. Monday through Friday. Oh my gosh. Changing light bulbs. That sounds tedious. Do you feel like there is something about like being a gay man that we're sort of putting these experiences where we're trying to package ourselves in order to sort of sell ourselves to other people, either it's like sexual, sexual objects or in terms of like what kind of gay we are. Are we a bear? Are we a twink? You know, whatever. I think so. And I think I find that the most interesting as well, because on stage I'm wearing like full on makeup, mascara, going for it. But day to day I'm dressed like, I don't know what you guys call, call it over there, but like a bit of a chav, like a bit like tracksuit bottoms, tracksuit mm-hmm. hoodie. Yeah. And it's interesting to see the, the different reactions to both looks because it's still the same person, but it's like, it's different, if that makes sense. I don't know if it's a Gemini thing because I'm a Gemini, but it's very much like I feel comfortable wearing that stuff when it's in the right setting. So mm-hmm. if it's for a stage yeah. performance, like I wouldn't walk down the street in full on like, I just wouldn't because I just feel uncomfortable. But I think if it's the right setting, I can. Um, but yeah, you do get different reactions from guys from both ends of the spectrum. Because some guys mm-hmm. really like, even on Instagram and things like that, some guys really gravitate towards that makeup kind of look. And then some guys hate yeah. when I'm wearing it. So even though I am wearing it and the ones they think I'm not wearing it. Right. It's just not. <laughs> right. It's just cover up. It's just cover do up. Do you think too, it's, it's uh, like a, you know, putting out your image in terms of like gay people, right? Like as a, as a musician, how does that affect you? And how do you think gay, you know, we don't have like, you know, obviously, you know, you work with Boy George, we don't have the same sort of time that when Boy George first came out where there was more of an exoticism about people who 
were dressing more androgynously or like doing, you know, make, you know, that were made up. There's that whole like line of that kind of performer, but you being yourself and being performative, like how does that uh, affect you? Do you think as a musician? Well, I, I think that there's not enough gay artists. Like I could probably name three, which is Sam Smith, Adam Lambert, and maybe Troy Savan. I don't know anyone. When I say there are obviously so many gay artists, what I mean is commercially successful that people, people would know. And, and obviously there are all that probably aren't out and they're keeping it on the DO. But like, I, I just think there isn't enough. And I, I have this thing in my head that I think it's because, you know, all these businessmen that are sitting in a record, like, is, can we sell this to like young girls and teenagers? And it's like, you know, when George came out, obviously he, it, it just works. And like girls liked him, like everyone liked him. So it's, I, I feel like there is still a way to go with gay artists. And I, I do kind of feel like I almost have to do 10 times more than I would if I was just like a straight guy. Do you know what I mean? I just feel like there's, I've always felt like that. I've always felt like I've had to prove myself more, even whether it be like vocally or whatever. I just always try to be like I don't know like the best at it <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean because you're having to in some way explain for people who don't understand you know you're trying to you have to explain that this is like something that's commercially viable that you yeah. know, you're sort of paving paving the way in that way yeah and it's it is weird I feel like I've opened even with me like when I first like have my boyfriend like he he was like exper experimenting with drag. And I remember just feeling really uncomfortable at first. I was like, oh, like we went to this wig shop and he was trying on this wig and I just felt really like, oh, I don't, I don't know how to feel. I felt really weird. I just didn't like it. And then, and then he, I know it sounds really cliche, but he was like, oh, let's just watch RuPaul's Drag Race. And I think I started with like season four or something. And I watched it right. and I was like, oh, it's different to like what I thought it would be. I, I, I drag queens used to really scare me. And there's this whole like, my God, they're really bitchy. And like, I just don't, I don't know how to feel comfortable around them. I literally do think since that moment of just like watching people be more, cre being creative, being themselves, putting on makeup because they want to, like dressing how they want to do it. Um, it makes you feel a little bit more like, oh, okay, I get it now. I can be a bit more open. And I've actually forgot the question. Also thinking like along those lines that now gay people sort of have these ideas of like either somebody that's super butch or that's a drag queen. Yeah. So like people like, you know, people that we know like from, you know, the new romantics and the punks and like, you know, David Bowie and Pete Burns and Boy George and people like that. You don't have that sort of like, uh, that type of person being seen in the media anymore where it's not about drag. It's about you being a, just glamorous and a star in some ways, as opposed to like, I'm trying to do an illusion of a female or I'm so butch that um, I'm like a hyper-masculine, you know, yeah. male and presentation. I, like, I don't know about you guys, but like, does, has anyone ever asked you like, oh, so do, do you ever, like, do you ever think about like wanting to be a woman or like, do, I, I've always got that question. I'm like, or do you ever, do you want to be like, if you could, if you could change that? And I'm like, no. I wouldn't want to be. <laughs> I like the I like the way I am. I just like guys. Do you know what I mean? I, I feel like I, I, there's a lot of people that just don't get it still.
So what's it like then to be a male homosexual in Britain today whose only choice is between a lifetime of complete sexual abstinence or being a criminal? Do you live in Islington? Islington, yeah. Islington, oh my God. Yeah. That's so funny. Do you know um, Joe Orton, the playwright? No. He famously, he's, he's a famous gay playwright in the 60s who was murdered by his lover, but they lived in Islington. So when I saw that, it always jumped out at me. Oh my God. <laughs> There's a plaque. There's one of those plaques. I was looking it up. There's a great movie with Gary Oldman plays Joe Orton. And um, Joe Orton was this great playwright, absurdist. Uh, and, but he was all, and he has these great journals you can read that he would keep track of all these. He would go into. He the, did you know, stuff for the, the Beatles too, didn't he? Joe Orton. He was, he was offered, he got a chance, but he made it kind of sexual and they came down hard on that and mm. said, you know, these boys are not like that. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, they're four, but they're living together. But he, you know, he would have these sexual encounters like in the, in the, um, in the Luz and, and different places. And he would keep track of them all in these journals, which you can read, they're really fascinating. And then eventually his lover who was older and his lover had some, some, sophistication but then Joe Orton became so famous and the lover kills him and leaves a note that says you know if you want to know what happened oh my god that sounds cool all that Wait, in your backyard he said next time can I bring my friend which was quite bold in those days I'm Joe Orton's friend as if it's a professional I love things like that I actually I actually did just watch this series I don't know if you guys would get it though because it's on channel four over here but it was called it's a sin and um, it was about these gay guys living in London. And it was around the time of the AIDS pandemic. And it was talking about, um, do you, can you say AIDS pandemic? Yes, I think so. Okay, you yeah. can. I made that up and I was like, oh, um, pandemic is on my brain. Um, it was about the AIDS pandemic and it was, and it was basically talking about, um, they mentioned America in it. Cause they're like, oh, it, oh, it's an American disease. disease. It's, it's not come over here yet. Like they were in denial that there was this disease going round amongst the gay community and they just wanted to go out and obviously have fun and, and not worry about it. And it's just really sad. And you just see like one by one, like the friends dying. And it's just like, a, it was really amazing. It had, um, I don't know if you know, years and years, the band, they're quite like it's the the guy that fronts it as a gay guy and um he played he was like the lead in it and it was just really really good it's like it's such a i want i probably if i can get a link i'll send it to you but it's a five kind of like a five episode thing but it's really like touching paul add the sound of a doorbell ringing Ooh, now add the sound of a wild tornado Okay, and now how about the sound of someone having an existential crisis? How does Quirona have such professional editing, you might be asking? How do we get all these amazing international queer special guests? And how do we get these illustrious interstitial sounds? Also, how do you cook a lobster thermidor in the air fryer? Well, all of these questions are answered for and paid by sponsors like you. Check out Patreon at patreon.com slash Quirona or Venmo a sponsorship to us at George Alley, A-L-L-E-Y, and we will shout you out or offer early access to our entire season two. Interested in Quirona merch? Let us know. For this season, we'd love to thank Mark Sykes and Pamela Tro for their generous sponsorship. Okay, Paul, let's close with an Alexis Carrington moment. At six o'clock, 
o'clock. I like to slip out of my shoes and into something more comfortable, like a drink. All right, my recommendation for this week, since we talked about Culture Club, is Boy George's autobiography, Take It Like a Man, which came out when I uh, was young, and I think I was just going into college. And it was a very seminal book to me to understand um, the punk scene in London, all of these sort of crazy characters from Steve Strange to Marilyn, um, and to sort of understand how transgressive Boy George was. Uh, and it's really well written, and I highly recommend it. There's this app called like Remini or something, R-E-M-I-N-I, and it takes your picture and it it basically like sharpens the whole picture where it looks like, oh my God, this it just, it goes from blurry to like, amazing and it's got this slider and you can see the before and after in it and you're like oh wow like okay. you can the only issue is sometimes if it's if it's funny lighting or whatever it can like give you this like weird contact in your eye where you're like okay something is definitely off here but um yeah if you if you use app and apps and instagram and things like that and you want to have like i don't know your if you've got a blurry pitch and you want to make it clearer that app is um is a good one to try i'll send you a picture afterwards so you know what i mean this is a literary week because I also am suggesting a book that I just finished called The Prophets by Robert Jones Jr., who is also on social media known as the son of Baldwin, which is a nod to James Baldwin. And this book definitely feels like James Baldwin. It also feels a little bit like Toni Morrison. He is, it's his first novel, though he's written a lot. And I'm not going to tell you too much about it because it would give it away, but it imagines queer love between two enslaved men in pre-Civil War America. And, he, and as um, the author has talked about elsewhere, a lot of times we think of like black queer sexuality starting with the Harlem Renaissance, which is, right. you know, and so he's like, well, it must have existed in some form, even without a name long before. And so it's like a poet, poetic book. It's beautiful. It's brutal. It's... Um, uh, it's a great read. I definitely recommend it. And he's going to be a, a star that you'll keep hearing about. That sounds great. Um, I'm going to be a little basic. Um, I'm really enjoying WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it is part of the a Marvel Cinematic Universe. It features the characters of the Scarlet Witch and Vision. Um, I'm into, it's only dropping one episode at a time, which I appreciate, which is unheard of these days on streaming platforms. You know, they try to give you all 14. Um, and it's a, it, it has a lot of mystery and weird elements. The characters appear to be trapped in a series of television shows. So you're seeing like 1950s sitcoms and then 1960s television and now they've kind of moved into the 70s and it's kind of presenting not only this odd mystery but this kind of like superhero dynamic along with a lot of fashions gender roles and television tropes well thank you uh Vegas, tell us more about um where people can reach you where can they download the album and when uh this video is coming out so 
Throw Me's coming out on February 10th, and I'm going to put the video out on February 10th as well. Um, all my socials are just Vangelis Polly. I took off the Doru because it's just too confusing for people. So yeah, Vangelis Polly. Um, so it'll be on Spotify. It'll be on Apple Music. It'll, it'll just be everywhere. So um, yeah, I'm, ex I'm excited because it's my first proper release that's not a feature. Um, so and, and also I've only ever released, you know, dance music as as you guys know, which I never even did before. So I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why I even did that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so February 10th, um, it'll be out everywhere, which is cool. Exciting. You have been listening to Quirona. Quirona is George Alley and Philip Moore with a series of rotating co-hosts, including Matt Ray. Theme song, Undivided Attention by George Alley, available on iTunes. With editing by Paul Schuler and Philip Moore. And interstitial music by Elise Carver at Elise Carver Music. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Quirona underscore podcast.